Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Picture yourself with a mojito in hand. Where are you? On a rooftop somewhere? Lounging by the pool? Tanning on the beach? Or maybe you're just sat in your favorite local bar, but feeling a little closer to those places, thanks to that sweet, fragrant mix of rum, lime, sugar, and mint. The mojito is, to borrow some words from today's and a previous guest, the vodka soda of the rum world with a few added benefits. And what I mean by that is, if you work behind the bar, you're going to end up making a ton of them. So it's worth putting in the hours to perfect this drink. Thankfully, doing so isn't overly taxing, especially when you dial into a few key details and follow the advice of today's guest, Yale Vengroff. And given its simplicity, in this episode, we also have some time to address two topics that we haven't before on Cocktail College. And those are, what comes next for bartenders after they move on from working behind the bar? And what's the deal with this new emerging frontier of mixology, the canned cocktail? These are both fields that Yale has valuable experience in, and they're important topics. Yale actually recently launched her Crystal Shisho Mojito through the drinks label Livewire, which is a brand that Vinepair has been a huge fan of since its launch in 2020. So, how do you perfect the mojito? How can you build upon this drink with a new riff? And what does it look like when you set that creation free into the wider world? Well, listener, sit back, relax, and allow Yale to tell you all about it. Cheers. Awesome. Cool. I'm going to kick it off. Welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College. This is your host, Tim McCurdy, and we are coming at you today from the East Coast and the West Coast because today we have Yale Van Groff joining us. Yale, welcome. Yo. How's it going for you today? We're doing pretty good over here. It rained yesterday, so that doesn't really happen in Los Angeles, and then everything's back to normal today. Well, it's raining here today in New York, so I feel like we're in sync. I feel I like see. that's a good start. I see. So today's topic, the mojito. And I think this is one that a lot of people are going to be interested in because this is a, a very popular drink. But I guess the first question I want to start by a- asking you um, to kick off the show is definitely popular with consumers, with people that go to bars is this a popular drink with bartenders or is this one of those drinks that you hate to make? I mean, it's really not a big deal to make a mojito, <laughs> but I, but I do think that it gained, it, you know, has obviously gained some notoriety over time in terms of being a really frustrating drink to make um, for people. I mean, there's an old joke about like, you know, saying you're out of mint or dumping the mint in the trash can or what have you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely um, one of those ones that you end up um, probably making a lot. And is it also one of those drinks where someone will, will order one and then a ton of other people will be like, oh, yeah, mojito, great idea? 
I think that I think that's what's frustrating about the mojito is just that like you can wind up having that is the sheer volume of like I think mojitos get frustrating when it's like you have to make like ten of them. Yeah, <laughs> but um, and one of the themes of this show with with some other drinks that we've spoken about in the past, whether they've been the topic of the the episode or just the conversations have gone that way is just like how even something like a vodka soda, essentially if someone's paying money for that, it deserves your respect and deserves your time. And I, I think that's very much true of the mojito. And I've had other bartenders tell me before, like, yeah, it might be a pain in the ass, but there are ways that you can make this a great cocktail. So I'd love to kind of get in, get into those with you. I mean, a mojito is basically like a rum vodka soda with mint. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the 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 crux of the mojito is really simple. It's a elongated daiquiri on crushed ice. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to, with or without soda. I like to throw a couple dashes of, or a dash, a half dash of Angostura in mine. Mm-hmm. Really spice things up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, I mean, it it should be it should be fairly straightforward and simple and and. Um, not over the top, you know, I think that like that, that's the other thing that, that starts to drive people crazy is when you start to bring in all these flavors of mojitos and purees that are messier than just the mint itself. And like, the think that that's, you know, passion fruit mojito, this, that, yeah. but a basic mojito, um, you know, for me is like straight Collins spec. It's two, one, one. Mm-hmm. Um, so an ounce of lime, an ounce of simple, two ounces of white rum. Mm-hmm. I do a, like a half dash of Ango and six to eight mint leaves muddled. Um, I, uh, I whip shake my mojito. So I shake it with a few pellets of crushed ice and then um, the whole thing just gets poured into a glass. So for me, it's not really messy. Like I don't have to strain anything. It's just being dumped right into the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I think the, the other thing is for people is they just really don't know how to use crushed ice properly. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, that becomes like an intimidating factor to them, or maybe they work in a bar where they don't have a crushed ice machine and they have to crush ice by hand or, or what have you. And, and that can be obnoxious, but for those people, I would say just, just shake with your ice and dirty jump right in. You're probably going to need to add a little bit of club soda just to get kind of you know, your dilution up. But yeah. Um, otherwise I, I don't, I don't add soda. I just, I just top mine with crushed ice and then garnish it real nice. It's, it shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, let's, let's get into those. Let's get into those specific ingredients bit by bit then, because of course, like, like you said, very simple formula, but I think the more simple things can be the more, kind of terrible they can become if you don't give them too much attention and obviously yeah let's start this is a rum drink so what what are you thinking about when it comes to rum and mojito like what's your preference in terms of style because obviously rum comes from so many different places um but also whether it's just like clear versus aged what, what are you looking for uh well i have a real thing for clear spirits in general um I- typically almost always, unless, and I know this is like, I feel like a heathen saying this, but Mm -hmm. like, I do appreciate cognac and I do appreciate aged rum, but I really just have no taste for aged spirits whatsoever. Like Mm -hmm. you'll rarely see me drink them. Um, Do they have their place? Of course they do. Absolutely. Um, I think the old Cuban is one of the most stunning drinks that calls for aged rum, Bacardi 8 specifically. Yeah. Um, And uh, that's, for those of you who don't know, mojito top of champagne. Um, but, uh, I mean, once again, mojito to me is like, (laughs) kind of wasn't joking, like a rum vodka soda with mint, Mm -hmm. like it should be really, really clean. It should be really refreshing. Um, so I'm honestly for a a mojito, I'm looking for the least like flavor characteristic rum. 
wait, I'm looking for the least, um, the realm with the least flavor explosions. <laughs> so you're not going down like a Martinique route or Rome Agricole, like well, those are- I would, like I, like I do, I do love rums like that. I do think that those rums have delicious places in Mojito, but once again, who are we making this Mojito for? Are we on a rooftop at the, at the Mondrian Hotel? Like, no, I'm not going to use rum agricole. Right. Um, it's just not I, expected. In general, I'm probably not going to use rum agricole because um, I tend to be as like less precious as possible. But if I was making that Mojito for myself, then uh, yeah, I would, I always go for like the funky rum agricole. Um, like uh, unaged. This is not one of those drinks either that we see a lot when it comes to kind of tropical or tiki where, you know, people are saying what warm, what one rum can't do, three can, do you know what I mean? Like this is, this you're you're going straight down the middle, keeping it clean, keeping it unaged or, or lightly aged. Oh yeah, yeah, aged. yeah. In general, I'm trying to keep things really, really simple. Mm -hmm. And do you have a bottle that you can kind of recommend perhaps that you think like really overperforms or people overlook or maybe just don't really know about, but it's pretty easy to kind of get hold of? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, I don't really, I'm sure I don't really can't speak to the off-premise availability of this room, but yeah. um, for us, um, and this is what we used in the Crystal Shoes, Shiso Mojito as well, that we'll talk about later. Um, well, I really love Casa Magdalena as like our like workhorse white rum. It's really cheap. It's really freaking tasty. And a mojito and a daiquiri, like it's just super, super mixable white rum from Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of proof, what proof does that come in at and what do you typically go for? Are, are you looking for a couple extra percentage points just because this is a, a longer drink or are you, you, again, keeping things simple? Um, Magdalene is 80 proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the only time I'm really paying much attention to proof is when I um, am shooting it down my throat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I, I honestly, like, am not, I'm not, I just am no longer in a place where I am sorry if this is not great for your podcast. Um, I'm no longer in a place where I give a fuck about, like, the, the proof of a spirit in a drink. Does it taste good or does it not? Like, um, I am not in general, I'm not really like looking for that when I'm looking at my classics, that mm -hmm. is more of a conversation when it comes to, or when I'm creating a cocktail and I am tasting for balance and I'm like, wow, that's not powerful enough. But I think you know? that is, I think that is an important consideration for this podcast too. Like uh, you might say that in an off time way, but it's like, ultimately what's the most important thing that it tastes good. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you can taste yeah. it. You can taste two like eighty proof rums side by side, and one might be packed with flavor and concentrated, definitely. and the others watered down essentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, I yeah, flavor to me is 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 the most important is the key factor. But I mean, of course, proof does factor in in that conversation, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. But you're not I, I kicking like, off. With I don't know. I guess I just feel like the mojito shouldn't really be fucked with on that level. Like I just don't think the mojito is like that complex, like that intellectual. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's supposed to be this like and it's supposed to be like lighthearted and and easy drinking. And you're not you're not supposed to think about a mojito. It's a mm -hmm. mojito, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess like I, I feel like over intellectualizing the mojito is. Um, or over over intellectualizing the components of the mojito is like the, the antithesis of what the mojito is supposed to be. I think that's a great point. And I think, again, that speaks to one of your earliest points that you make there is like, who's drinking this and what are they expecting from it as well? And like, they are not going to want some clarification or 
mix molecular mixology with their mojito. Like, what the fuck is that that you just served me? Like, I want a refreshing drink, and odds are maybe I'm on a rooftop or even better, I'm on a beach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my favorite mojito serves is like a like a what do I what did I call that thing? Crap, it was such a good name. It was like a beerito, and I used to just blend a mojito and top it with beer. Oh, um, nice. And it was so tasty. Like, if you want to fuck with the mojito in that way, like, go for it. I think that, um, that like, you know, being playful about it for sure. But, but I don't. I, yeah, I just don't really think the mojito should be, um, over intellectualized in any way. Yeah. Over intellectualized, and I think that's a great. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, for sure. And um, so, so next component, do you want to talk about mint or simple and, and, and just, yeah, dialing a little bit more into those again, I will try not to get too intellectual here, but just like, what are your considerations there? What are you thinking about? Not brown mint. Mm -hmm. And can I ask a question um, too for that? Because I used to, I used to work in kitchens and we would have our, you know, our fresh herbs out for our mise en place for service or whatever. And like, can't always keep them in the fridge. What's the best way to keep those fresh and on hand? But yeah, like, I don't know, so that you're not every time having to go into the fridge or is that just what you're supposed to be doing? Um, well, you can blanch your mint, um, which is what some people do. Mm -hmm. I have never personally, oops. I've never personally had time for that. So you can blanch your, you can blanch your mint. Um, other than that, like, I mean, I would just say that it really depends on like length of service. Like the mint should be able to last. Um, I like to keep it face down in the water with the stems up. I've seen people do it both ways. Every time I see people put the stems down, the mint looks like shit. I keep it face down in the water. Um, and mm -hmm. I just put it in like face down in water in like ice water. Yeah. Um, I'm sure for all you sciencey culinary folks out there, that's probably incorrect, but this is what I do. Um, and that, sh that should be fine for a six hour shift. Mm -hmm. Like that when it comes to shifts that are longer than that, when it comes to shifts in environments where it is a lot warmer inside or you don't have AC, then you're going to start to run into issues. Mm -hmm. Um, so you should, you should be able to keep it out in like ice water. Mm -hmm. And then next step, simple syrup, 50, 50, one-to-one, -one, whatever you want to call it. Very, very simple, right? Don't overcomplicate that. Yeah, that's the way to do it. And then of course, lime being, a, you know, one of the major components of this too. Um, fresh is best. Anything else that you would like to kind of discuss there? On lime juice. No, I like lime juice. It's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, can you talk us through, through briefly just your, your, your kind of preparation of that again and also maybe a little bit more about ice here? Because I feel like this is a drink that I worry about being overly diluted. I think that's the one thing I worry about if I order a mojito is that it's, it's going to be watery and that ties into ice. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to always place some muddled ingredients in, into my shaker first before I do anything. Uh, some people that are going to swizzle this cocktail in terms of their technique will build it in the glass, but I whip shake it. So I put six to eight mint leaves in the bottom of the shaker. Um, I then add like a little baby dash of Angostura, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, uh, an ounce of lime juice, an ounce of simple syrup, two ounces of white rum, and then I'm going to muddle that and add like a little like i don't know like four or five pellets of crushed ice into the shaker mm -hmm. whip shake it 
um, and then dump all of the contents of that. Give it a little swirl before you dump it into the glass. So all the mint goes into the bottom. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, at that point, I really think that the key to making crushed ice cocktails is just, you got to make sure that you have everything that you're possibly going to need to go into that drink like done and ready before you start adding the ice. Cause that's the minute that things start to get really tricky. Um, and so quite honestly, at the, the instant that I'm done with like the whip shake and the drink is in the glass, I put the straw in, like, if you try to put the straw in later, you're just going to mess up like the beautiful work that you've done. So I put the straw in and then I start adding crushed ice until I'm like about an inch from the top. And then I add the garnish and then I make the dome on top and really like pack it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, the drink just needs to, get run as soon as possible and if the server's not around then run your own dang drink mm-hmm. um and That's then hopefully point. you don't get a diluted mojito yeah and sorry are you you're so you're not topping with soda there i know that's optional some people are doing that but you're you're not i i don't i think that i think that with um uh, a mojito crushed ice it has no business talking to mr soda i agree with you there again more danger of dilution that is one thing i'm trying to avoid all the time terms of glassware i guess also pulling that out of the fridge cold that's going to help or do you have time for that given how many you might sling on a any given saturday night i mean i usually tell everybody if you have time to get a cold glass get the cold glass if you don't have time to get the cold glass don't get the cold glass Mm -hmm. i think that's great advice (laughs) (laughs) and then just in terms of yeah like where it stands today and throughout your career like what what have you seen with the kind of the trajectory the trajectory sorry of the mojito is it as popular today as when you started um is it something you want to put on your menu or are people going to re- order it regardless so you just want to avoid that needless hassle <laughs> i mean i think that this is a regional question mm-hmm. right i think that like if you would talk to a bartender in south beach they would have a much different answer than a bartender in Toronto or a bartender in San Francisco. Um, Which masochists in Toronto are drinking mojitos? It probably gets nicer in summer. They might, I mean, they might though. Like they, I I don't know. I feel like sometimes like beverage trends tend to um, make little sense like that. Um, (laughs) Super easy to sell rum um in general but if it is sold then it is in the form of like either a mojito or like sometimes i've been really successful with selling rum um by making it a super decadent beverage with a cool name yeah um but that that was kind of a luck luck of the draw type of thing i think that i don't i don't know why that that drink has kind of made sense for the space and the bar in which it was created um and uh it was just kind of like everything kind of came together the right way mm-hmm. um but um i don't tend to write classics onto my menu yeah um that most classics i think are a given unless you're writing a whole menu of classics um in which case yes i think the mojito deserves um some recognition but i would probably do something a little bit more interesting you know like an old cuban or something like that and i think um, that's a that perfectly kind of leads into something that I was going to ask you as well which maybe meets you halfway here which is that if you are going to have one on the menu but again like you don't want a standard just kind of classic old mojito on there in order to kind of meet halfway here how good is it to to kind of put a mojito riff on the menu because a that's going to be a drink that many people know but at the same time allows you to kind of give some of your personality on the menu too. So yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, so that was the idea with, with the Crystal Shisa Mojito and its origination was this was a draft cocktail actually at Genghis Cohen, which was yeah. an American Chinese restaurant I was working on a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I really love to uh, do things either the wrong way or a different way. Yeah. Um, and 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 part of like that kind of like um, rascal quality is uh messing with people's heads mm-hmm. and i was thinking about crystal pepsi and how hilarious crystal pepsi was <laughs> and somehow that led into this idea of this like crystal mojito made with shiso leaves instead of mint mm-hmm. um and so and that was almost like a um I guess I don't really think of cocktails anymore in terms of like just technical um, compilations of recipes or of, of ingredients that taste good. At this point in my career, I'm thinking about the um, a cocktail as its own brand almost or a cocktail as its own like entity, what, what the cocktail itself has the power to do. Um, I think that th- like, and this it might be skipping ahead, but this kind of like is proven, at least for me, like was a big eye opening moment for Livewire where it's like, yeah, we all have cocktails that we've created throughout our lives that like have actual staying power and that have actual like um, canonical star quality. Um, but not all of us live in New York fucking city and not all of us have access to like the PR grades and not all yep. of us have writers like Robert Simonson around, you know? So it's, it, so there are plenty of people out there that are creating these drinks that, that have like a lot of lasting power and that, that, that do deserve like contemporary, um, fame, but that, uh, don't, so don't get it. I yeah. I, not that that's the goal when I'm creating a cocktail, but that's the goal, right? Like, you know, it, how far can this drink go? It doesn't have to just go beyond like to the, like the menu isn't the end, right? Yeah. Like the menu doesn't have to be the end. So when I'm thinking about creating things, I'm, I'm thinking much less about like um, the, what were we just talking about? But like these kind of like technical um moments and and more about like you know what is what does the name say about this drink like what like how is this appearance like how translatable is this to an audience and kind of all of those things Mm -hmm. um that make a make a brand um a powerful brand you know Mm -hmm. why is why is apple successful why is red bull successful um so i really try to when i'm creating something that's not meant for like an obscure audience like i'm really trying to um distill that down into like something that could be easily read in a magazine you know that's awesome and i think a great point here as well so you mentioned the crystal shisho mojito there which again i would love to talk about now is a creation so this is now you've worked with aaron polsky and livewire drinks to 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 bring this drink that you had created before as you mentioned there but take it into can form and ultimately do something like you say like the menu doesn't need to be the end for drinks and of course like how many drinks have we seen out there by the way just as a sidebar that have gone onto menus, become very famous, and the bartenders never made any money out of it. I, I that I think that's crazy. And ultimately, maybe liquor brands make money out of it because they're doing RTD versions now. And and what Aaron's doing and what you've done with Aaron here is like you're taking a proprietary creation and 
and you're you're giving a whole new lease of life via this packaged can form. I think that's incredible. And just in terms of that too, like linking to our earlier part of the conversation, like you you can't make a riff on something if you don't know how to make the original well and instinctively from memory, muscle memory, right? Like if you haven't made it a thousand times, why are you even going to start trying to make a riff on something? Yeah, I would say that that's a very good point. <laughs> but also, and I think this is a theme that runs through kind of Aaron's, uh, you know, live wire drinks. You can, you can make something and it can be like, if you get chatting to the person, be like, actually, this is just a riff on a margarita or whatnot. But if you put that in the name, people know instantly and they're probably going to be a bit more receptive to it. And I think there's a lot of that kind of in Livewire. And I think that's very smart. I mean, I, I think, yeah, go the way of the riff. But I think it's very smart to have that thing that people recognize. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually something I don't typically do. I'm typically always the one that like, it's like, I'm, just, I'm like such a B-sides type of gal. Like I hate pop music. I hate the popular song. <laughs> I hate like the obvious. I'm always going for um, the like obscure, you know, reference or, or what have you. And so I, I, in general, I'm always picking like some like really ridiculous obscure name. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't typically um, go that route. Um, but it was like, okay, cool. Yale, do you want to name this after your favorite grime song and sell zero and fill, you know, like fill your own ego, or do you want to name this after like what it is that people will understand? And it yeah. was like pretty obvious. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think, I think that's a smart idea. And I think, you know, this show is all about, you know, helping people make better drinks, whether they're, you know, enthusiasts or whether they're just starting out in their career. So that might seem antithetical to, to talking about getting cocktails in a can, but here's the other thing. After every single episode, we get so many comments from people saying, like, the, the thing that sucks now is that I, I'm not in New York, so I don't get to taste this person's drink that they're talking about, or I'm not in New Orleans. Yeah, That's what I yeah. love about Livewire is, like, they they can hear this and they can be like, oh, wow, actually, I can go and try Yale's um, mojito, the, the Crystal Shisha mojito. Like, I can go out there and try that. So can you tell people that are listening, like, hey, they should come visit you in L.A. wherever you're working. But if they're not able to do that, where can they find that on Livewire? You, my friends, don't get to visit me wherever I'm working because I do not work behind a bar anymore. So you have to drink the Crystal Shisha mojito. Um in a can, because otherwise you're not getting a drink from me, my friends. Well, then uh, even more, even <laughs> more impetus, yeah, right there to 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 go out and buy them. So where where can people go then? Where can people go find Livewire and find? Well, you can go to LivewireDrinks.com. Is that the website? Let's check it out. Hold on. <laughs> and in how many states can people? You can go to livewiredrinks.com. You can order Livewire directly from the website. We are currently in California and New York um, in terms of my cocktail specifically, but um, Livewire also exists in Louisiana, I think, um, Texas for sure. Um, and the rest of the it. states yeah, very yeah, soon uh, taking over the country. Coming up, coming up soon. I can't, I'm personally most excited about Texas. That's where I'm from. You're a Houston um, gal. I have, yes, I'm a Houston gal. And uh, it was really exciting. My friend Lindsay Ray works for the company as well. I just, I just took a trip. I just took a trip back home and um, went out to have a drink with her. We went to the reserve downtown and like, I was, I was outside, of course, on a phone call at 11 PM working on this music festival. And I walked back inside and there's Lindsay sitting at the bar drinking a fucking 
a shot of Montenegro and uh, had a honeydew Collins in her hand. And like, and, and, you know, and Joey Bernardo, who's drank that honeydew Collins is, is, is my best friend and has, and has been my best friend for, for so many years. And like, to see like that, like that part of him, like actualized, like, and I've also brought Joey to Houston with me. He's stayed in my house. You know, my, he's met my parents, my sister, like, uh, like my whole family. We've, we've guest bartended at several, uh, several bars in Houston together. And, and like to see his drink, like make it all the way into the hands of like these people in Houston and like and what was even crazier was the the live wire that Lindsay was drinking was the was the last at the at the venue they were they after that one they were sold out so th that was just a really like powerful beautiful moment of like wow that's so fucking badass and mm -hmm. like, yeah people in Houston know Joey's name because we came and guest bartended a few times but th they could really know his name now yeah then no, it's it's awesome. It's a new frontier. We're huge fans here at Vine Pair. We we have been for, for since the first release, right up into your current release, which I just tried recently for the other that for the first time the other day, and it's absolutely delicious. So oh yes, amazing! I did not know he had that trick up his sleeve. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's been so great to chat about the mojito with you, but also yeah, like this new frontier of cocktails and, and and basically the next stage, which I think so many people, if they didn't already realize it before in the industry, definitely, I think this came to a head over the past 18 months, two years. So it's been great chatting with you about that. Um, I would love to finish with our kind of final stock questions to just kind of get to know you a little bit more in terms of yourself and some of your experiences in bartending and drinking. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be kind. There, there, there's, there's no, 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 there's no trick good, questions in there. Okay, great. So question number one here for you. Um, which style or category of spirit would typically enjoy the most real estate on your back bar? Um, gosh, which, which bar, which kind of, which bar are we talking? I, I do the, the kind of bar that you um, would most like to work in if you were oh, still behind the stick. Um, I mean, I like, uh, mezcal is definitely a huge passion of mine. Um, huge passion of mine. <laughs> uh, nice. I really, I, I mean, mezcal, I absolutely, I absolutely love mezcal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but I would say that like, something that you would that occupies quite a bit of real estate on my backboard that is like atypical are like eau de vies and fruit brandies oh. um it's been a long time since i've been able to like work somewhere even at spare room where the selection the like was so varied and i could really like i had carte blanche to do you know i mean i guess that's the thing is i didn't really have carte blanche to do whatever i wanted was like it spare room it was like it had to sell mm -hmm. and if i wasn't really putting it in a cocktail at spare room we, we had so few seats at the bar and like quiet time at the bar it was always very busy in there yeah it's really hard to like sell that to a guest but like i do go back home to houston i think houston is such a fascinating city and like mm -hmm. there are bars like bad news bar um and um and anvil yeah. and all these places that like that are carrying you know really ridiculously obscure high-end or low-end unique selections and they are selling it because they are getting to facetime with their guests and I think that that's really fucking cool. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, I would say, like, fruit brandies, an unaged fruit brandies, eau de vies is probably, like, um, a hidden, like, if, if you know me, um, 
and you're sitting at my bar, like there's a, there's a very high chance that I'm going to pour you a shot of like pear brandy. If you ask me for a shot. That's awesome. Um, I love to hear yeah. that. Second question for you, which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal in your opinion? Oh my God. Microsoft Excel. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fucking Excel. Um, I feel like I could have um, a million answers to this question right now. Um, Excel's a good one though, and we haven't had that before because it's it's it shows you that you know at the end of the day you got to make it work money wise. Otherwise, what are you doing? Dude, good God, please somebody like give us like like hello, dear bar five day. Can you please incorporate or dear bar sports? Please incorporate an Excel course. Jesus. I mean, yeah, I think Excel is like wildly important. I think that it speaks to, you know, everyone's like, I don't know, you know, bartenders only have three paths. We can become a brand ambassador. We can become a, a, you know, a a bar owner, or we can become a, I forget what the other path everybody talks about going. It doesn't matter (laughs) for everything. You still need Excel. And like, and and on top of that, it's just, it's just such a wildly important tool. And like, I just, I'm, I'm a firm believer in like working smarter, not harder. And like, if I knew, how to use Excel like I want to, then I would be really fucking powerful. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Love to hear it. Third question. What's the most important piece of advice that you've ever received in this industry or what's one piece of advice that stands out? Uh, care less. I hate that advice, um, but that piece of advice was given to me Um and then this is kind of an old Houston tale also, but um, two of my like old bosses and mentors, Brad, Brad Moore and Ryan Rouse, um, they owned a bar called Goro and Gun in Houston. That's actually right underneath Bad News. And I remember um, I was sitting with Alex Gregg, who was the manager of, of Goro and Gun at the time. And it was me and Ryan and Ryan and Brad are partners. And we were all arguing. Me, me, Ryan and Alex, I think were like arguing about glassware at like three in the morning and um, As you do. Brad walks up and we like, we like need Brad to like give his weight on this decision for some reason. And Brad walks up and we're like, Brad, you know, well, what, what can you weigh in? And he's like, I could have less of an opinion on this. <laughs> and we all just kind of looked at him <laughs> and it was like, or I could have more of an opinion on it but I could have less of an opinion on this. <laughs> and I think that like, that was a really like, you know, it, it's funny because Alex, Alex and I saw each other recently and we like both kind of revisited that story. Cause we're both in these positions. It's like, wow, we care way too much to be as effective as we are supposed to be quote unquote, supposed to be in our current, you know, iterations in our current roles. And, and I think that like, you know, for me, I'm currently working on like how to scale up programs and in order to, to make things scalable and really achieve excellence, there is a level of like caring less that has to happen in order for this whole thing to work. And so that that's been like another real tough pill to swallow. And I think that's something um, we could all take in life pretty too. valuable care less. Yeah. yeah. It's a life lesson too, for sure. 100%. You could have less of an opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> the Brad Moore. Fourth question for you. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? 
I would definitely be, it's just a great lead in. I would definitely be Grand Prize Bar in Houston, Texas, which is a bar that Brad and Ryan own that I worked at, that Lindsay, who I spoke about earlier, worked at, that Joey, who I spoke about earlier, have and I have guest bartended at. Um, Grand Prize is a magical fucking place and it's home. And uh, it's it's just the culmination of like everything I've always wanted in a, in a bar to visit, in a bar to um, uh, vis- uh, to go to, in a bar to own. Um, yeah. And Yale, final question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I would not drink a cocktail. Um, I would drink a wine. <laughs> I nice. love wine. I got Keith um, here celebrating. He's the resident wine guy at Vine Pair. Just oh, chucking a fist in the perfect. air. Perfect, Keith. Mr. <laughs> Keith, why didn't you say so? <laughs> You can see his um, uh, mean, logo here on the Zoom. He's got the Wine 101. That's his podcast. You yeah, listen to yeah, it. yeah, totally. Cool. <laughs> uh, so what wine would you go for? I would go for either, I mean, I would definitely go with something like high acid, um, really funky, like high salinity. Um, White? Sounds like. Honestly, any no, I mean, I would say that could be any category. Like I really love... Um, some of these like chilled reds that kind of fit Ooh. in all of those categories, love any kind of skin contact wine, mm-hmm. um, something, something weird and freaky deaky and, um, or something classic that like, you know, really blows your mind. That sounds wonderful. Well, yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today for carving out the time. I know you're a very, very busy person and, and your, your Absolutely. time is much appreciated and I've enjoyed our conversation. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, I hope that uh, I meet you one day. <laughs> we will share. In the meantime, a mojito together. My live wire can. I'll yeah. be drinking. Yeah, I'm going to crack one now. Sweet. Awesome. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news: every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on Vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vinepair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.